Welcome to the TriStar Church Podcast. We're so glad that you have tuned in today. My name is Matt Grimes, lead pastor of TriStar Church, and I want to encourage you to like and follow us on social media, as well as subscribe to our podcast. You'll find weekly sermons, midweek deep dives, and more right here every single week. I pray that you're challenged and encouraged as you listen, not just to the words that are spoken, but to the Holy Spirit who is speaking to you through this resource. Now let's dive in. Well, how many of you are superhero fans? Okay, maybe we got, yeah, thank you, Ray. We got some Marvel fans, maybe, maybe some DC fans, maybe some of you who don't care at all, right? Um, So even if you're not a fan, don't we all love the idea of a superhero? And why do you think that is? I mean, why is it that the superhero movies are among the highest grossing films at the box office? Maybe we can relate to superheroes because God has placed within us all the desire to see good overcome evil and and for justice to be served. We long to see courage modeled and to root for what's right. You know, superhero movies give us hope. They make us feel good. But I wonder... If deep down, we love a superhero because behind the masks, most of them are just ordinary, flawed human beings who happen to have been given extraordinary gifts. Superheroes give hope to the rest of us ordinary humans that we too, perhaps, could do extraordinary things. But while superheroes are kind of fun fuel for our imaginations, I haven't seen Spider-Man scaling any buildings around me lately. So where do you and I turn for hope and for justice and for leadership in the real world? The good news is that God is the original creator of the superhero. He has always been in the business of giving his people superpower to accomplish his plans and purposes in the world. You know, throughout the ages, Satan and evil people have tried to thwart God's plan, but God cannot be defeated. He empowers ordinary people to do the impossible through the power of his Holy Spirit. So in our passage this week, we are going to see God work good through King Saul, even though Saul's heart was not aligned with God's. When Saul consistently proved that he had some heart issues, God anointed a new king, David, who would pursue and seek God's own heart and purposes. Now, David was Israel's most powerful king, but he pales in comparison to his descendant, King Jesus, who came to perfectly defeat sin and death. And in doing so, Jesus enabled all who follow him to experience his superpower, his spirit in their own lives. Don't miss this. When we put our trust in Jesus, the eternal and coming king, we are anointed with his Holy Spirit and called to live by the power and perspective that comes only from him. So the rise and fall of Israel's first king was not for lack of empowering. It was a heart issue. Instead of wanting to serve God's purposes and please God, Saul wanted to serve and please himself. You know, even in the movies, we know that when the superhero begins to use their powers to play like their God, things quickly go sideways. So today we're going to see how that happened to Saul and what God did about it. 
So we're going to look at about six chapters, so hang on, buckle up, right? First of all, 11 and 12 of 1 Samuel, Saul was selected. Then we're going to see him rejected in chapters 13 to 15, and then David's anointing in chapter 16. So last week, Matt touched on the selection of Saul as the first king of Israel, and it really looked like it was a pretty good start. We were told in chapter 9 that he was not only handsome, but he was a head taller than any man in Israel. But even after God did this incredible series of miracles to, to affirm Saul in his calling, back in chapter 10, Saul still hid in the baggage. Remember that? When he was called to come forward as king. And that at first seems like, oh, look at that, he's humble. But it tells us something about Saul's heart. You see, he didn't fully trust God. Saul had a heart issue from the very beginning. So as we move into chapter 11 of 1 Samuel, Saul faces his first challenge as king. The Ammonites had encamped around Jabesh, Gilead. It's a city about 50 miles from Saul's home. Their leader, Nahash, very graciously offered to negotiate with the people and let them live. All he demanded was that they submitted, they would submit to having their right eyes gouged out. Live or have your right eye gouged out. I mean, make the choice. Desperate. The town's leaders, elders, ask for some time. Could we, could we just have a week? Okay, just, just let us think about it. And in that time, they were hoping desperately that someone would come and help them. Someone would come and rescue them. Well, Saul was in the field. He was plowing with his oxen when the messengers came to tell him. And we read about it in chapter 11, verse 6. When Saul heard their words, the Spirit of God came powerfully upon him, and he burned with anger. He took a pair of oxen, cut them into pieces, and sent the pieces by messengers throughout Israel, proclaiming, this is what will be done to the oxen of anyone who does not follow Saul and Samuel. Then the terror of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out together as one. Now, we need to understand that in the Old Testament, God gave his Holy Spirit to chosen people to enable them to perform certain tasks. The Spirit would come upon them, but he didn't stay. Because of what the greater King Jesus accomplished for us on the cross, believers today have the Holy Spirit living within us forever. Scripture tells us that we can grieve and quench the Holy Spirit, but he never leaves us, which means you always have his superpower. Well, over 300,000 men responded to Saul's call, and after an all-night march, they surprised the Ammonite army and completely routed them. Saul succeeded because he was empowered by the Spirit of God, and he very wisely gave God the glory. Now, this, remember, this is Saul's first big deal as king. So the people are relieved. They are so grateful for this victory. This, after all, was their idea of what a king should do. This was kingship. And they were eager to confirm Saul now in his role as their king. So Samuel, the priest and prophet over Israel, called the nation together to give thanks to the Lord, to renew the kingship of Saul, and to remind the people that God was still their ultimate king. Now, in chapter 12, Samuel reminded Israel that in asking for a king, they had rejected the kingship of God and the leadership of Samuel. So what is in considered Samuel's farewell speech? He reminded Israel of God's faithfulness in raising up deliverers from Moses down to Samuel himself. God had given them superheroes, ordinary men whom God had empowered to rescue his people. But Israel, they'd been pretty ungrateful. They had determined that 
God wasn't enough to save them, and they had cried out for a king. So God gave them Saul, chapter 12, verse 13. Samuel says, now, here is the king you have chosen, the one you asked for. See, the Lord has set a king over you. If you fear the Lord and serve and obey him and do not rebel against his commands, and if both you and the king who reigns over you follow the Lord your God, good. But if you do not obey the Lord and if you rebel against his commands, his hand will be against you as it was against your ancestors. So the people of Israel had sinned against God over and over, yet God's love for them was greater than their sin. Israel had rejected God, but for the sake of his great name, the Lord would not reject his people. You see, God is faithful even when we're not. He's committed to accomplishing his will in our life, and he will empower us to accomplish it as well. And that brings us to a truth as we look at these first chapters, that God's Spirit equips, empowers, and enables us to accomplish his will. God's Spirit equips, empowers, and enables us to accomplish his will. So what's God calling you to today? And how have you responded? Have you hidden from the call? Have you tried to push it aside and ignore it? How's that working out for you? What is it that's keeping you from stepping out in faith to do whatever he's asked? Is it fear? Is it pride? Is it selfishness or feelings of inadequacy? As believers, God equips you and me with his Holy Spirit who fills us with his strength, supplies our needs, comforts us, encourages us, and works through the study of his word and prayer to transform us into people who look like Jesus. It's a lifelong process. It's called sanctification. But as we obey God and carry out the work that he has called us to, he begins to change our character. He works in us to make us holy. Now, when we believe in the process of sanctification, we gladly submit to and obey God because we trust that he's changing us to be more like Jesus. But when we do not believe in the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, we spend our efforts and our energies trying to control and change those around us because we think God needs our help. Anybody here relate to that? Okay, so maybe you're not the obvious person for the job that God is calling you to. But if he calls, he will equip, he will empower, he will enable you to accomplish the work. So step out in obedience and watch him prove himself to be faithful. Well, Scripture tells us that Saul was 30 years old when he became king. He reigned over Israel 42 years. But as Matt taught us last week, a good start does not guarantee a strong finish. And in chapter 13, things began to fall apart for Saul. Saul's son, Jonathan, attacked a Philistine outpost, and the Philistines responded by sending a gigantic army. Uh, verse 5 of chapter 13 says, The Philistines assembled to fight against Israel, are you ready for this, with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. Now, imagine yourself in Saul's army. You would be terrified, right? And they were, and they began deserting the army at an alarming rate. Now, Saul had been instructed to wait seven days for Samuel to come and offer sacrifices so that Saul would know how to proceed in battle. 
But when the seventh day came and Samuel did not, Saul panicked, and he did what only the priests are allowed to do. He offered a burnt offering to God. Of course, as soon as he finished, Samuel arrived. Saul's impatience cost him dearly. Have you ever been there? Ever taken matters into your own hands when God didn't seem to respond quickly enough? You know, Saul not only disobeyed Samuel, who had told him to wait, but he disobeyed the law of God, and instead of repenting of his actions, he tried to justify them. You see, Saul was supposed to follow as God led him, not go out and making his own decisions. By taking matters into his own hands, he showed he didn't have what it took to lead Israel well. And his impatience cost him the kingdom. Look at Samuel's words in verse 13. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You've not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. And with those words, Samuel departed, leaving Saul and 600 men to face that vast army of the Philistines. Saul was paralyzed with fear, but not his son Jonathan. Empowered by his faith in God's ability to deliver his people, he slipped away and he killed 20 Philistines. Well, as we move into verse, or chapter 14, verse 15, panic struck the entire Philistine army. Those in the camp and field and those in the outposts and the raiding parties and the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. Now Saul's lookouts are watching the army and they're seeing all this confusion in the Philistine camp. And Saul calls to the priests and says, ask God what I'm supposed to do. But instead of waiting for God's answer, he acted on his own and he went to battle. Once again showing he was unfit to be Israel's king. Instead of being directed by God's words, he was driven by his own fear and impulse. Saul's army found the Philistines in total confusion that day striking and killing each other. Chapter 14, verse 23 tells us that on that day, the Lord again saved Israel. The spiritual condition of Saul's heart was revealed not only by his actions, but also by the words that he spoke. In 14, 24, Saul forced his army to agree to a vow of fasting until evening. Now, no sensible commander would deprive his troops of food and energy while they're trying to fight the enemy. When his son Jonathan confessed that not knowing about the vow he'd eaten a little bit of honey, Saul was ready to kill him. But the soldiers would not allow it. So the final verses of chapter 14 give us the impression in many ways that Saul was a successful king. He fought against Israel's enemies on every side, inflicting punishment on them. And while we are told he fought valiantly, that he defeated the Amalekites, his heart was not fully committed to God. So God gives him a test. Chapter 15, verse 1. Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel, so listen now to a message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. 
Now go, attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. Now, to our ears, this sounds horrible. And it is. I mean, Scripture is true. It's not sanitized. The Amalekites were a wicked nation that had made a dirty attack on Israel when they came out of Egypt. God had given them 300 years to repent, but they hadn't. Their destruction is a picture of what humanity deserves and faces from God. This is a picture of God's intent against all sin. It points to the coming day of judgment. So if we like to minimize divine judgment, it could be because we also like to minimize our sin. The good news here is that Jesus came to take this judgment from all who would choose to trust him. Back to the Amalekites. This is God's battle. The instructions are pretty clear. Saul was simply the instrument, and he had no right to improvise in carrying out the Lord's decree of judgment. So it's really hard to understand why in verse 15, 9, Saul and the army spared Agag, the king, and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. Now, we don't, we don't understand or know what Saul was thinking here, but we do know what God was thinking. Verse 10, then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry, and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Because Saul turned away and rebelled against God, God, to use human terms, grieved Saul's rebellion. You know, just because we regret an action doesn't mean we've acted wrongly or we would do it differently if given the chance again. I mean, we might regret disciplining a child because we wish it had been unnecessary, even though it was totally appropriate. Our regret doesn't suggest we should or would have done differently. God's regret was his emotional response to Saul's rebellion. Interestingly enough, when Samuel went to confront Saul about his disobedience, he found that he had set up a monument to himself in another town, and he came to Saul in verse 13, and he said, Saul said to him, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. And Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul answered, The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord, and don't miss this word, your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. What had he done? I mean, what was Saul thinking? That the all-knowing God wouldn't know? When we refuse God as king of our life, we most often replace him with ourselves. We forget who God is, and we begin to redefine his words and commands to suit ourselves. Although Saul insisted he had obeyed the Lord and brought back the animals to sacrifice, again, don't miss this in both verses 15 and 21, to sacrifice these to Samuel's God, not Saul's, Samuel's, Samuel shut him down. Verse 22, does the Lord delight 
in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. You see, the sacrificial system was never intended to function in place of living an obedient life, but was to be an expression of it. I mean, sacrifice without obedience is hypocrisy and empty religious ritual. God wants living obedience from the heart, not dead animals on the altar. Verse 24, then Saul said to Samuel, I've sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men, and so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. So Saul very quickly shifted from I've obeyed to I have sinned. But this overdue confession appeared to be generated more by concern of the consequences than by sorrow over having offended a holy God. And he conveniently bypassed his personal responsibility by shifting the blame to his soldiers. I mean, come on, Samuel, I messed up. What's the big deal? I mean, can't we just forgive and forget here? Verse 26. If I can find it. But Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. As Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught a hold of the hem of his robe, and it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a human being that he should change his mind. God is true to his character. He doesn't change. He doesn't lie. Saul had repeatedly disobeyed God's instructions regarding the kingship. Saul rejected God, so now God must reject Saul as king, and he would not change his mind. Verse 30, Saul replied, I've sinned, but please honor me before the elders of the people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. Saul had said all the right words, but clearly his concern was not his sin, but his reputation. He wanted to be seen as worshiping the Lord rather than obeying him. Samuel did accompany Saul back to worship, but there's no indication that he worshiped with Saul. Instead, he called for and put the Amalekite king to death, the very thing Saul was supposed to do. And we read in verse 34 that then he left for Ramah, but Saul went up to his home in Gibeah of Saul. Until the day Samuel died, he did not go to see Saul again, though Samuel mourned for him. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. You know, God's communion with Saul as king through the prophet Samuel was broken. No more direction for Saul from God's word. No more counsel. No more commands. No more encouragement. Without God's prophet, Saul was without God's word. Saul, who refused to listen to God, now lost the privilege of hearing from him. And that brings us to another truth. Choosing to disobey God is choosing to set aside God's best for our lives. Did you hear it? Choosing to disobey God is choosing to set aside God's best for our lives. 
So what do you suppose disobedience has cost you and me? Can we ever really even know? God is worthy of our full obedience. He desires our obedience because he knows it brings his good and perfect will into fruition in our lives. It grieves God's heart when we sin against him and disobey and reject his will. I mean, why call him Lord if we have no intention of doing what he says? We are so fickle in our love for God, but he is consistent in his love for us. When Samuel turned away from Saul, it was truly an act of God's love. It was so that Saul could taste the full weight of the consequences of his decision to rebel. You see, God wanted Saul, as he wants each one of us, to turn back to him in repentance. But Saul refused. God loved Saul too much to allow him to think that he could just go on sinning and continue to rule over God's people. Friends, God loves you and me too much to allow us to continue in sin. So where and how are you living in disobedience to God's clear commands today? How is his spirit prompting you to turn from that sin that is pulling you away from him? Like Saul, are you more concerned about how you look in the eyes of everybody else than how you look in the eyes of God? How gracious of God to warn and encourage us to repent. So Saul, although he looked the part of a king, did not have the heart of a king. His rebellion and rejection of God's commands grieved Samuel, and he mourned for Saul. But God was resolute. A person with a heart like Saul's, even considering all his other qualifications, simply could not lead God's people. Look at chapter 16, verse 1. And the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. God gave Samuel time to grieve, but now it was time to move forward. God had chosen a new king, and Samuel was to go and anoint him. While rightfully fearful of Saul, Samuel did what God said, and he went to Bethlehem to offer sacrifices and anoint one of Jesse's sons to be king. When he arrived, he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to attend this sacrificial feast. Now, to consecrate in this case simply means that they took a bath and they changed their clothes. So for Ruth and Boaz's grandson, Jesse, and his sons to be invited to this sacrificial feast was a huge honor. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Jesse's firstborn son and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands right here before me. But Mr. Tall and Handsome was not God's choice. Verse 7, the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. In Hebrew culture, the heart was the governing center for everything, for your physical body, but also for your thoughts and your feelings. Now, a person's heart is relatively inaccessible to human beings. But God can probe the innermost part of a person and assess his or her true character. You know, we tend to look at the outward appearance when evaluating someone's suitability for a task. But God is more concerned about what's going on in the heart. 
Now, he accommodated himself to the people's wishes and standards when he selected Saul. But he chose Saul's replacement in accordance with his own standards. One by one, Jesse's seven sons passed in front of Samuel, and every time God said, nope, not that one, not that one, not that one. Finally, Samuel asked in verse 11, are these all the sons you have? I mean, poor Jesse, he has just shown Samuel seven strong, handsome sons, but he still isn't satisfied. Then Jesse admitted that the youngest son was still out with the sheep, and Samuel insisted that he be sent for. Did that kind of make you wonder about David's place in the family? I mean, he seemed to almost be an afterthought in his father's mind. Maybe you can relate to that. Verse 12, so he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. And the Lord said, rise and anoint him, for this is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord, here it comes, came powerfully upon David. Young David was a good-looking boy, but that's not why he was chosen. In chapter 13, 14, we read, remember, that God had chosen David because he was a man after God's own heart. We know that Samuel was anointing David as the next king of Israel, but we aren't told that Jesse and the sons knew what the anointing was for. However, from that day forward, the Spirit of God rushed upon David, choosing him for kingship and equipping him for the work. As David received the Holy Spirit, verse 14 tells us that God's Spirit departed from Saul. He remained God's king, but without the Spirit, his authority and ability to rule began to fade. And not only did God withdraw his spirit, but he sent an evil spirit to torment Saul. And the word evil can mean both misery and wickedness. Now, we know by nature that Saul was a suspicious and revengeful man. So this certainly would have given this spirit a foothold for his operations. As for the spirit coming from God, where else would it have come from? But him who is sovereign over all things. This evil spirit was completely under God's control. God never commits evil, but he may use it to accomplish his good and wise purposes. So to help Saul cope with the evil spirit, his attendants suggested some music therapy. And guess who they found to help? Verse 18, one of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse in Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well. He's a fine-looking man, and the Lord is with him. So Saul sent for the young shepherd, David, and he liked him so much that he asked that he be allowed to stay in his service. Without even realizing it, Saul was pleased with God's choice for the next king. He was drawn to this young boy whose heart was after God's heart and whose inner being was being governed by God's spirit. God is both just and merciful in his response to sin. He gave Saul over to an evil spirit to encourage Saul to return to him, to repent. But he also brought in David, whose songs were full of good teaching about God, full of love for God, and full of worship. Filled with the great power of God's Holy Spirit, David was able to offer relief to the troubled king. And that brings us to a final truth, that God's Spirit enables and prepares his believers, or prepares believers, for his service. God's Holy Spirit enables and prepares believers for his service. Have you hesitated to obey God because you were afraid? Have you resisted the call because you felt like you were too old or too young or too ordinary or too inexperienced? 
Maybe you've been called to someone that you don't want to serve, and God's called you to serve them, and you've questioned your ability to minister to that person. God knows us far better than we know ourselves. If he has called you to serve him somewhere, then he knows that you are the right person for the job. He knows how he has gifted you, and he knows what's going to bring you the ultimate joy and satisfaction. David didn't appear to be a likely choice to be the next king. He was just a boy. Some say he was as young as 10 or 11 when Samuel first anointed him. But God saw his heart, and he knew what David could and would do with the help of God's powerful spirit upon him. Who can say what you might be able to do if you were fully yielded to God? See, God has all the resources and creativity to make you into what he desires you to be. How willing are you to fully submit your heart to him? If you are a believer, God is calling you to a life of eternal significance. He's calling you to a life that matters. There is no weak tool in the hands of God. There's no small calling in his perfect plans. You were created to live a life that changes the world. You were created for a destiny that draws the lost back into the fold of the Heavenly Father. But to accomplish the life to which you were called, you're going to need courage. You're going to need time spent in God's presence, being filled with his encouragement. You're going to need his spirit to strengthen and guide you daily. So do you have superpowers? Have you been filled by the Holy Spirit through faith in the eternal King, Jesus If Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord, then you, my friend, have everything you need to be a superhero for God's kingdom. You have his enabling, his empowering, his equipping. Are you going to use this power to act as if you were the God, like Saul? Or are you willing to submit yourself to God so that he can use you to accomplish his amazing plans and purposes in this world? There is no limit to what God can do with an ordinary, flawed man or woman whose heart is fully committed to his. Let's pray. Father, would you forgive us when we want to use the empowerment we've been given by the Holy Spirit for our own purposes? Would you forgive us when we stop looking to you as our king and we start looking at ourselves? You have an incredible plan for every person in this room, and you stand ready to equip and empower them to accomplish a work that will bring you glory and bring them joy and satisfaction. Would you please work in our hearts so that they would be willing to fully submit to you. Help us to fully trust you and find our joy and hope in you. Change our hearts so that they are fully yours, so that we can leave here empowered to impact this community for your kingdom and your glory. Through Jesus, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you live in the greater Knoxville area, we would love for you to join us for a worship gathering. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. For directions and more information, please visit www.tristarnox.org. Lastly, resources like this one are made possible by the financial support and generosity of people just like you. If you would like more information on supporting TriStar Church, please visit our website, or you can text the word GIVE to 865-240-0353 and follow the prompts. Your generosity and support will empower us to continue to partner with believers 
equipping them to make disciples by living out the gospel in the places they live, work, and play. Grace and peace.